the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour it's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. And Jacob. <laughs> oh, can I that's talk to Jacob? A, yeah, that's right. That's our informal addition uh, to the intro. Welcome, everybody, to the Bible Live. Uh, this Sunday evening, the next 90 minutes, we're going to be talking about all things biblical. We're going to be... Uh, we kind of make our way through the entire Bible every year. Uh, we, we've for, Before, the Bible Live series has included a reading program Monday through Friday where we read When through, is that coming back? Give now? you a chance. As soon as, as soon as, as soon as we can financially afford it. Well, <laughs> That's oh, the big I question. So who knows? Maybe we've got a listener or two or three or five or six or eight or hundred or so that might like to say, yeah, we want the Bible. You know, at one time we were the only major city in the United States that had the entire Bible being read for our citizens every year. We did that for 15 years. And it was really a, a great, great privilege and uh, to hear from folks and see how the Bible um, was received there out in the community. So we're we're trying to get back to that if we can, but we just need some support. We need some folks who really believe in the scriptures, the Bible, uh, in a way that they believe in its power. They believe in its been up, its uh, helpful, beneficial uh, uh, information for our community, its impact, its influence. 
and then we could just put it together. You know, we're not asking anyone to do superhuman things, but if we all did a little bit, I bet we could come up with the amount that it takes to uh, put the Bible back on the air. So we'll be we'll be talking about that in the future a little bit, trying to move forward. I've had a couple of interviews this week with the folks here at KSLR and see if we can get that back on the airwaves, the Bible itself on the uh, airwaves here in South Texas. But um, lacking that, we still have our Sunday evening program where we where we discuss and take questions and, and so on about the Bible uh, all through the year. Right now, we've just finished up with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and the, in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. And we're re- going back. Just this past week, our reading schedule called for us to go back and read the book of Hebrews in the uh, New Testament. Uh, and so that's what we'll be talking about primarily tonight, the book of Hebrews. It's, uh, as Jacob said earlier, we were just talking off the air before we, before we came on the air here. And he said, that's an important book. And uh, why do you think, why are you saying that? Why do you think the book of Hebrews because I wanted it, to talk about it. Okay. Well, now you are, uh, I, would you say you're an unusual uh, Jewish person in no. the sense that you're knowledgeable of the no. New, Te- New Testament? No, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I will tell you. There are a lot of Jewish people who take interest in the New Testament. Well, I, I would think that I think a lot of them have read it. Uh-huh. Uh, I will tell you that one of the greatest mentors I ever had in my life was uh, he was a great guy. He's deceased for several years now. In fact, when I heard he died, I hopped a plane and flew up to his funeral. Best funeral I've ever been to. Really? Oh, it was a wonderful funeral. Sounds interesting. Oh, it was, and I really liked how they did it. But anyway, he was Jewish. And in his home, uh, he is a two-story home, mm-hmm. and there was no room to paint walls. His entire first and second story were covered in paintings and bookcases, floor to ceiling. And he, I have to say, he knew well, not only the the Jewish side of the Bible, you might uh-huh. say, but he also knew the Christian side of the New Testament very, mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. And he was a real scholar. Interesting. Uh-huh. And so I, I, almost every person I know at some time has read it. I don't know how in depth they studied it. But, uh, well, that's interesting. They read it. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I find that fascinating. And uh, I've no, always no, felt No, wait. Like... I need to return. That's okay, a, okay. That was the, you just put the ball across the net. Now, i got to serve it back. Oh, okay, okay. Now, how many Christians have read the Old Testament or the Tanakh? I, I would have to say almost the same thing you said. I think that uh, all, almost all Christians. See, we don't. As you as you know now, uh, we don't necessarily. You, you use the phrase the Christian side, the the Jewish I know. side. I yeah. got to be careful with that because I told you one time no. about, a lady got mad at me about that, and I thought it was funny because I had heard a rabbi say that speaking at a Christian church, uh-huh. and I thought it was funny, so I acquired it, I yeah. appropriated yeah. it, and then when I used it, this lady got mad at me. So <laughs> now nah, she didn't really get mad. Oh at yeah, you, right? she basically told me that. Uh, she basically said, the whole Bible is ours. It's not just part of it. And I said, oh, oh, <laughs> okay, okay. I, I jumped back. You know? yeah. I, I'm sort of recalling the story about Mark Twain. Um, when he got a low grade, he came back to the uh, school from his autobiography, and he said, my, my mother said, if you give me another bad grade, somebody's going to get in trouble. <laughs> and I guess he kind of had already out, uh, ruled himself out, right? Uh, it wasn't going to be him, uh, so I guess it's going to be you guys. So I kind of blame that particular incident on that rabbi. Oh, there you go. Well, I, I, honestly, I think she's right. We don't 
ever think of that. I don't believe. Now, see, I, I may not be in touch with the newer generation of believers and so on. Maybe there well, is no, this no. division. I would but... say if we're going to talk about the newer, they don't read anything. <laughs> okay. So then. we don't have to worry about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, That's we... why we got to get the, the rest of the show back on so people can sit back, have a drink, And hear and the entire read, Bible. Hear it, yeah. Exactly right. I, I really do. I want that to happen well, I know. so much. We've been talking about this but we for need, a while. But we know. certainly need help. But there's no way to do it just uh, based on what, uh, what we can generate ourselves. I, I'm perfectly willing to give and contribute to it. Uh, I, I love it and I have a passion about it, but we just need uh, enough of us to, Speaking to, to of be that, a part. Yeah. Why is this book called Hebrews? Huh. Why? Uh, I don't really know. I can't say. I don't know who even called it the Hebrews. Do you? No, I'm asking you. I don't know where it got the name. And I don't know why they did it, name it that, but I suspect, I suspect that because it, the the subject matter is about the the Hebrew, the Jewish people, as as this as this um, as the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, the, the Yeshua Mashua that w- was rolling out in the in the first century, it was being told and taken across the Roman Empire. Uh, someone, uh, and we don't know exactly who it was. Some think Paul. Some think uh, maybe Apollos. Others. There have been other suggestions. Um, about who wrote the book of uh, uh, the Hebrews, but someone wanted to address the, in other words, uh, let's say the Jewish Messiah, for the sake of our conversation, Jesus was indeed that long-promised, awaited Messiah who came, the Savior, the, to re, to carry out the redemptive plan of God and the atonement in, in time and space in history. Uh, someone thought, okay, if that is true, how does that affect the Hebrew, the Jewish people? They're, uh, you know, they've been around centuries. They have a well. They have a, uh, they have a theology. They have a, they're a revealed. Uh, God has revealed Himself to them, and truly living God, and so on. So, someone needs to talk about how does the coming of the Messiah, how does it change, or how does it affect the the uh, Jewish religion now. You and I have had this conversation lots of times that, frankly, I have come to the point in my crankety old age as a, as a Christian believer, I have basically come to the point where uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't find it particularly helpful, it's not harmful or anything, to talk about the relationship with God from a religious point of view. In other words, from the point of view of organized religion. I don't think Jesus came to planet Earth to start a religion. In fact, if he did, it was he came to continue the the Hebrew, the Jewish religion. He was a Jewish man. He worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He read, he knew the Tanakh backwards and forward, the Scriptures, uh, and he never advocated starting a new religion. He just was helping people come into contact, Jews and Gentiles, come into a, a real, genuine relationship with the Creator, which was, okay. I think, the 
the whole point of the scriptures, the Tanakh or the New Testament anyway. So I don't really see the world through the grid. I know there's such a thing as religions. There's a Jewish religion, a Christian religion. So I'm not saying I'm a, but I don't, I don't see the world that way. I, I try to deal with people on the basis of what they actually think, what they actually believe instead of what group they belong to. So, um, and you know me well enough to, uh, we've been at it long enough to, you, you know that. So frankly, I even think of myself primarily, and I've told one of our leading rabbis here in the city this one time, and I kind of shocked him, I think. He said, what, Sophie, you're, a, I know you're a na- Native American, you're Apache Indian, and, and you were raised, you were orphaned, you were raised, you passed around a lot of families, and you have an unusual background, and it's sort of fascinating. But uh, when it comes to God and so on, what, what religion do you normally normally affiliate with what what how do you define your are you apache or your religion and so on or how do you usually uh describe yourself and i shocked him and i said well i I tell you the honest truth i usually kind of define myself as being a being jewish i'm a jew i worship jehovah the god of abraham isaac and jacob i read the tanakh the hebrew scriptures i believe in the hebrew messiah i don't know how much more jewish i could be and uh (laughs) i think i shocked him but but it made sense to him he said you know i never thought of that that's that's and i i kind of like that perspective I think it's a better perspective. Yeah, it's more a, accurate. He's a nice guy. I know him, and, uh, mm. and he's a very, very, very knowledgeable guy. He was gentle with me. <laughs> he didn't get upset that I called myself no. Jewish. No, no. But anyway. But, but anyway, uh, what's interesting, that's where we are. I, well, well, uh, I brought, uh, uh, since we're doing Hebrews, yeah, in, uh-huh. the, in the Christian scriptures, uh-huh. I brought uh, the NASB this evening. Okay. And I know you've got version, what is it, NLT or something? Yeah, the New Living Translation. So, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Okay. So do you have in the beginning of that something uh, that says what the theme of the book of Hebrews is? Yeah, it says here, uh, this is the, the NLT, New Living Translation Study Bible. And it says, uh, let me just say, with so little certainty about the author and the audience, intended audience of the book, some speculation about the date is unavoidable. Clement of Rome quotes the book of Hebrews favorably in A.D. 95, so it must have been in circulation for some time prior to A.D. 95. It's failure to mention the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70, uh, which ended, um, well, I won't go there, uh, Seems well, what, to indicate, what is the theme of the book? That's really what I want to get to. Okay, I'm looking for it. Uh, it, tend, it appears to be intended for Greek-reading believers from Jewish backgrounds living in Italy. They may have been Jews who converted, as the ancient title at the beginning of the oldest manuscripts reads, to Hebrews. Maybe that's where it got the word, to Hebrews, right? I guess. Um, that's, the let me note see. in the book I've got refers to... Uh, uh, Tertullian, and he it says that the first reference they had was in about 200, but that was in his writings. But anyway, but I was curious because I was curious about the theme because as I looked at this this afternoon, I realized something. What's really why it's a very interesting book, and I realized the real issue is they were if they were writing to, and I think I think it's fair to say. They were writing to Jews that converted yeah. to Christianity. He seems to he seems to presume that they have a working knowledge of uh, yeah. Yeah, the I Jewish that's, religious that's system. Fair. And in notes here it says this is a NASB study Bible. It does say this is written to the Jews that converted to Christianity. So mm-hmm. uh, if that be the case, I started wondering, well, what exactly 
is this belabored point. And I realized the issue that I think I've identified is uh, not necessarily the theme. I think it's certainly the theme here says it's supposed to be something about uh, teaching that Jesus was the Messiah and all things are forgiven and all that uh-huh. type of thing. However, I realize the issue is they are trying to make an argument, I believe, to justify at least two things to the, in the Jewish mind okay. in the book of Hebrews. Good. And uh, I noticed that <coughs> one is that Jesus was the high priest... And which is a little bit of a problem to the Jewish mindset because, and it says in the book of Hebrews that he did, he came, he didn't come from the tribe of Levite. So the, one of the chores is they must convince the Jewish reader that he can be a priest, but he's a priest in heaven, mm-hmm. um, and that can happen even though he's from the tribe of Judah. Now that immediately is going to cause some Jews. Sure. To, well, sure. wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, how did this come about? So they got that. The chore. priesthood came from the tribe of the Levites. We of know course. that. And mm-hmm. so what happens is immediately they're going to have to convince somebody. It's not just a matter of saying this is great stuff. We all ought to believe it. They got to make an argument. They got to win that argument. Secondly, so they got to do about Jesus, and they've also got to uh, think that you must have faith that what they're telling you of why that Jesus is the Messiah, number one. Number two, that a high priest can come from the tribe of Judah. And and that's, I think, why I figured out that why this chapter 11 is the great faith chapter. And they're trying to, I think they're trying to say, well, look, all these other guys believed everything by faith, and you got to too. And one of the things we want you to believe by faith is, one, Jesus is the Messiah, but two, he can be a high priest not coming from the tribe of Levi. So I mm-hmm. think that's the point of what they're trying to say. That's how I picked up on it. Interesting. Uh, that's a that's a very interesting question to ask you. Uh, as I've mentioned, I don't really like the situation of even your opening sentence there was written to Jewish people who had converted well, to actually, Christianity. I'm reading it right out of the NASB. I see. It says, it says this is a uh, quote, quote. Uh, what what chapter or verse? Well, no, no, no. It's the introduction. Oh, oh I, see, I see. NASB I see. study Bible. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the, verse, the first letter. This letter was addressed to primarily Jewish converts to Christianity who were familiar with the, the you know, they say the Old Testament, and who were being tempted to return to Judaism. Uh, 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 but they wanted to convince them to stay with the gospel. And it said... Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and you and I, I think, talked a little bit about this even last week. I, I think that's a, a factor here. Uh, obviously, he's talking about people who had embraced... <coughs> I think the only thing I'm... <clears throat> The only thing I'm questioning and, and kind of disagreeing with... Yeah, you don't like the choice of words of converts. Uh, converts, yeah, because frankly... That's why I was stressing. I'm yeah. not saying this. Yeah, this is I get this. it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, Jewish people don't have to convert to anything. I mean, no. the, the, the Messiah is a Jewish concept. Jehovah is the God of Abraham, I Isaac, Jacob, all these things. I do recall verses about that the Christians are grafted in. Nothing about Jews getting yeah, grafted in. We are the ones who converted uh, to, I left uh, behind my pagan religion or whatever, or my religious thoughts, and I have embraced the God of Abraham, and ja- Abraham Isaac, and Jacob, the Messiah, the Tanakh, the the, the redemptive narrative that comes to us through, hey, by the, the way, just through the Judaism. Thing that we have never said on the show, why is it called the Tanakh? 
Good question. I don't. We have never said that. I think is that like. Is it was it the first Tanakh Tanakh joke or something like that? Maybe mm, no, but I really like it. I like that has some potential, doesn't it? I, I, I've thought of that before. Tanakh Tanakh, yeah. who's well, there? Yeah. Uh, it would be uh, Jehovah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, actually, I think the answer is. I'll tell you this. You want to yeah. hear, hear my very? Best? What does the word Tanakh mean? Well, okay. First, I'll tell you. Then I'll tell you my very best Tanakh uh, joke. Okay. Tanakh is an acronym. The first couple of letters come from Torah. You hear the T, and the rest of it is uh, the N-A is the part about uh, the prophets, and the last part is the writings. So when you take the, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, you put together, it's an acronym. It's a word that refers to all of it, and it says Tanakh. The Hebrew now, Scriptures, yeah. Sure. So here comes my very best knock-knock joke. Ready? I know what you're going to do. What? You're going to say, you start it. And I'm going to go, knock, knock. And you're going to go, who's there? Yeah, that's right. And I'm not going why, to have why, an answer. Why are you dancing on my joke? There's no sense in me telling the joke. Now, all these people are out there listening and they say, well, tell the joke. And there's no sense in me telling the joke because you just spoiled it. Okay, you do it. Do it anyway. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Come on. Let's do no, it. Come no, on. No. Say, to knock, to knock. Who's no, there? No, no, no. I'll just say, I'll say, knock, knock. Okay, you say, knock, knock. I said a knock, knock. Oh, uh, who's there? Uh, canoe. Canoe who? Canoe come out and play tonight? <laughs> okay. So yes, I, I can come out and I play tonight. I changed it because it. you spoiled my I very know. best joke. It was terrible. That's uh, I must beg your forgiveness. Yeah. It's sort of like a, a guy that goes to fires and throws wood on the fire and helps <laughs> help out the firemen. You know? <laughs> well, here we are at the Book of Hebrews. If you'd like to give us a call, 340-9585. We have kind of run through a little bit of the uh, the book. It's 13 chapters. It's... Uh, Written, it does seem primarily to Hebrew believers uh, who had embraced Jesus as being that long-awaited, promised Messiah, Redeemer, Savior, and now it's discussing what are the how, how in what way or how or, or in what ways does the coming of the Messiah uh, change. Or how does it affect uh, Judaism, the Jewish faith, and, and so on? And so that's the, the – would that be a fair way? How does it – for uh, a Jewish person, how do you now if, – if Jesus was the Messiah, how does, affect, how does that affect our belief system? <clears throat> and I guess what that means, uh, too, is uh, – Well, that, they're making certain <clears throat> statements that would come – that uh, you, the Jews would almost hear a grinding halt to it and say, what did you say? Mm-hmm. And so they got to make an argument to convince. And when I was looking at this today, I started realizing when I read the theme in this NASB study Bible, I said, you know, I get the theme they're talking about. But then I said, you know, what I realize is they're trying to make the argument. And part of the argument is, look, like chapter 11, look, all these other guys just believe it by faith. And mm-hmm. so what we're telling you, you got to believe by faith, too. But they make some arguments, very interesting arguments. And, you know, one of the interesting thing is, uh, let's just, and there's a couple things that's really, I call, pretty interesting to me, like in chapter 1 mm-hmm. of the book of Hebrews. We all know about he made him, uh, it says he made him a, a little lower than the angels, right? Yes, yes, I saw that. And I've, and you, I've, I've appreciated your comments about that. Well, uh, let me say, um, 
God, His Son, uh, cleanses me. This shows that the Son, talking about Jesus, is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave Him is greater than their names. I'd like specifically to look at verse 5. For God never said to any angel what He said to Jesus, You are my Son. Ah, Today I have become your Father. You know what I realized when I was reading that today? Uh The way they're using it is a clear refutation of the argument that people make about Job and even chapter 6 of Genesis about Mm -hmm. Noah and the ark. Okay. Do you know why? No. Because when they always say sons of God, they say, well, it's probably angels. Because they say, well, how how can it be sons of God? Mm -hmm. And here it is. It's actually here it is in the Christian scriptures saying, God never said to an angel, you are my son. That's what he's saying. And I I realized when I wrote that, or was reading that rather, I said, you know what? That really hits that argument that she said, we don't understand what the sons of God mean, so we'll call them angels because they must be angels. But this is actually a refutation of that of saying that, whether it's in chapter 6 of Genesis mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Job, because that's really sons of God does not mean angels. No. And here it is actually correct. correct it's saying he has never said to an angel, you are my son. Isn't that interesting? It is very interesting, and it brings, of course, one of the main sources of friction between, I'm sorry, the Jewish, historic Jewish faith. I'm sorry. I surely. It's a point of friction between the historic, traditional Jewish faith and and the scripture is this idea of the the Son of God. The, the, what does that mean? We, Jesus as the unique begotten, the only begotten Son well, of God. Well, it clearly says in the New Testament, in this verse we're looking at, it says, I will be a father to him, and he's, uh, today I have begotten you. There's no uh-huh. doubt that it's saying I, God begotten. Jesus, I got it. Maybe we can talk a little bit about what that means uh, as best I, we can understand from our different backgrounds and understandings. 340-9585, area code 210, 340-9585. We'll be right back taking your phone calls and talking about the Bible live. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Never forget in the light what you learn in the darkness. Our Daily Bread. Welcome to today's encouragement from our daily bread. Finding the Way Home is the title of today's reading, and it was written by Randy Kilgore. Sometimes this journey through life can be so difficult that we're simply overwhelmed, and it seems there's no end to the darkness. During such a time in our own family's life, my wife emerged one morning from her quiet time with a new lesson learned. I think God wants us not to forget in the light what we're learning in this darkness. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes this same thought to the Corinthians after describing the terrible difficulties he and his team endured in Asia. Paul wants the Corinthians to understand how God can redeem even our darkest moments. We're comforted, he says, so that we may learn how to comfort others. 
Paul and his team were learning things from God during their trials that they could use to comfort and advise the Corinthians when they faced similar difficulties. And God does that for us as well if we're willing to listen. He will redeem our trials by teaching us how to use what we've learned in them to minister to others. Are you in the darkness now? Be encouraged by Paul's words and experience. Trust that God is right now directing your steps and that he's also stamping his truths on your heart so you can share them with others who are in similar circumstances. You've been there before and you know the way home. We're passionate about helping people spend time in the Bible. So subscribe to the print or digital version of Our Daily Bread when you visit getodbtoday.org. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. If you're looking for a church to call home, start your search with the church directory at am630theword.com. There you'll find hundreds of churches near you. Churches like Agape Christian Church, Trinity Baptist, River City Community Church, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Freedom Fellowship, Riverview Calvary Chapel, His Life Fellowship, Alamo City Bible Church, and Calvary Chapel Solid Rock. Or make sure your home church is listed so others can find you. It's the church directory at am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Houston-born rapper Travis Scott emerged on the music scene about eight years ago. The chart-topping Sicko Mode is one of 17 explicit tracks on the artist's latest album. In it, Scott is joined by a bevy of guest contributors bragging about their material possessions and the status that their bling brings. Sun is down, freezing cold. The collective beats in the song's three sections may make for a musically diverse tune, but the subject matter and content are all the same. Bravado, harsh profanity, and graphic references to sex all precisely reflect the song's title. I'll give Sicko Mode a one-half point out of five for family friendliness. For more, be sure to visit us at PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Family, Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for the Bible Live. We're just getting our uh, hooks into the book of Hebrews By the in the, way, in do the you New know Testament. What Hebrew means. Hebrew, yes. Nothing uh, to do with coffee. Let's go back. Let me see. Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew. <laughs> Ah, boy, it it takes me back to the, um, what was it? Was it had to do with Abraham? uh, Children of Abraham or something like that? It goes back that far. It goes back that far. But how you say Hebrew in Hebrew is Ivrit. What? Ivrit. Okay, Ivrit. Yeah, so Ivrit. 
That's how you say Hebrew in Hebrew. But you say Hebrew. Uh, When was it first used? uh, Actually, what it technically means is the people from the other side. Ah, so is it Canaanite or an Aramaic word? Well, I'm talking about something godly and spiritual. Oh, ah, interesting. But it is an Aramaic word rendering from... All all languages come from Hebrew. Other people just picked them up, added things to them. When God spoke the Bible in being, when he spoke the Bible in being, he had to speak some language, which means he had to have words, which means he had to have letters. And the language he spoke to the Bible in the being was Hebrew. How do you say, let there be light in Hebrew? Let there be light in Hebrew. <laughs> oh, what well, smart Alec. That's okay. like the three students, and they'd say, <laughs> "Repeat that again." And he says, "What'd she say?" And the guy would say, "She said." <laughs> <laughs> Well, here we go. Uh, The book of Hebrews starts out uh, taking on this phrase, Son of God, the Jesus Christ is God's Son. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. Now, in the Hebrew scriptures and understanding uh, the son of God, does that even have a place or is that an entirely, totally new concept? No, no. Sons of God is uh, is, is actually, it's in the Torah. Yeah, Genesis chapter 6, it talks about the sons of God. But what we're talking about there, if I understand correctly, is the the believing God embracing part of humanity as the human race not expanded. Believing, not believing. You can believe or not believe. Uh-huh. But the people that do obey God's, God. well, yeah. do God's laws. I got you. Which I would say is the real believers are the ones who act on it. Well, they it would obey that the God. Ones that would be willing to do it. You'd yeah. have to have some reason to do it, yeah. I guess. Yeah. We're not talking about just theists or atheists. We're talking about people who. who Believed in God and obeyed God's laws. And, and okay, so I, I get that. So uh, they son, are considered. The son always obeys his dad. And those, okay, and those that obeyed God and sought, you know, wanted God, loved God, obeyed God, uh, they were referred to as the sons of God. That's how it was traditionally used. And the human race began to break into these. However, there is a two spot. groups. There is a spot in Exodus. Where uh, uh, they said where God is talking with Moses, and he says, "Now you tell Pharaoh that I'm going. Uh, he must let my firstborn go." Now he's certainly saying by that something that seems to suggest something a little different, because he's saying my firstborn indicates, and he's, at that point he's talking about the nation of Israel, and we all know that Jesus, being Jewish, came out of the nation of Israel. So, but so he does make that reference. You know what reference I'm talking. Yeah, about. I do. And doesn't maybe even that particular incident doesn't it take us back to the idea that God's uh, wasn't the initial covenant with Abraham and his people is that the first child belonged to the Lord, that, the oldest child of each uh, family. Initially, somebody had to be the the chief. You might say right. And so somebody had to settle the differences and that kind of stuff. And generally, uh, that would be that could the oldest son. It would be the oldest, the first. 
uh, but it didn't always have to be. One of the distinctions that came up in the Jewish stuff is was different than, like you might say, the Arabs and others, because that did not have to be the first. That's why we have all these stories throughout the entire Tanakh, the Old Testament, that where you have somebody else supplanting the firstborn and but because he takes the role mm-hmm. and, uh, right and then at mount sinai the the model was changed from the firstborn of every family to this particular tribe all the of of Levi that came right, so the, it shifted from the people who would take spiritual responsibility and for the for the nation and look to care for the tabernacle and the spiritual well being of the country and so on. It became the tribe of the Levites instead of the firstborn of every family. Mm-hmm. Was that is that an accurate? Yeah. There was a shift. Yeah, sure. There was an actual change from the okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and so the firstborn in Egypt was coming out of this idea. Is that connected to this idea? How is that connected to this idea of sonship? Uh, and even from there, it moves on to the idea of the priesthood. You know, the, as you said, he wasn't a Levite. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So how is it now he's become our high priest? Well, and that's so on. one of the arguments that I realized when I was looking at this today, that the difficulty is who wrote this letter, whoever it was, mm-hmm. Paul or whoever it was, mm-hmm. one of the things is they have to convince, uh, let's say, a knowledgeable Jew that a guy from the tribe of Judah could be a priest. Um, I got a great joke I'd like to tell you, but I, I don't think I should. Okay. But I, so I won't tell. Just everybody laugh like I told you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny one. That's uh, really good. Yeah. Okay. Then, all right. So then what this writer of Hebrews is doing, writing to Hebrew people, he's trying to, uh, I, I guess the background would be this. There are hundreds, thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands probably of Jewish men and women who uh, like many uh, Gentiles in the Roman world of that era, the first century, who looked at the information about this Jesus of Nazareth, his life and the pro- the prophecies that he fulfilled, his life, the way he lived his life, his teachings, his death and resurrection, and the transformed lives of his followers. And they came to the conclusion that, yes, indeed, he was. Okay, you just said something that I was going to bring up in a moment. Okay. If you notice, when you go down through this, the book of Hebrews, do you notice what's really not the th- main point? Do I notice what is not the main point? Yes, uh-huh. but something you just said, actually. Because. Okay. Uh, I think we can all agree. Seemed I would. seems like I would have noticed something I just well, said. Well, you know, it would se- <laughs> I agree. It seems that way. But let's not. I guess sometimes we can't always operate on what things uh, should yeah, seem. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's not. It's not really talking. It's, it mentions, but not concentrates on the one proof text mm-hmm. of the resurrection. And you just mentioned that because uh, miracles in the Jewish world are just mundane. I mean, miracles come, miracles go. Everybody does a miracle. In fact, uh, so like the plagues in Egypt. You know, there's a lot of plagues, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, in fact. Uh, when you copy somebody else's writing and say it's your own, it's a new it's a new plague plagiarize plagiarism, huh? Yeah. 
That's a joke. I uh, know. Uh, your other one was funnier, but uh, uh, okay. I, I, I uh, but, okay, but, but the one like, you didn't tell. But, uh, anyway, but look, take a look at verse three. See what okay. it says. He told Jesus, "Sit down at my right hand." See that? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, you see, to the knowledgeable Jewish reader, that means something. Okay. Those are those phrases all are supposed to be taken to have a certain meaning. Sit down at my right hand. Now, in Jewish thought, each hand has a certain meaning. Mm-hmm. Right hand is mercy. Left hand is justice. Judging. Uh-huh. Justice, judgment, sure. So when it says, sit down at my right hand, I'm being merciful to you. And so there's something going on about this. So the guy reading it is saying, he's reading it, let's say he's knowledgeable or quasi-knowledgeable. And he's saying, oh, okay, so it's, uh, I may understand it's about being merciful. And then we, uh, we actually we continue on. <clears throat> in fact, they quote over in verse uh, 13. It says, sit at my right hand. You may recognize this. It says, verse 13, it says, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Yes. That's the one. Of, that's a stumping question, no pun intended. Mm-hmm, when I mm-hmm. say footstool, stumping, that uh, that Jesus tried to stump the uh, Pharisees with, mm-hmm, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, back in the book of Matthew. Right. So he's quoting the same thing. So, er, So if they're trying to say something here, they're saying it, and nobody seems to be confused. So they understood, in the book of Hebrews, what that means. I'm thinking that the people, a lot of the Jews, at the time Jesus used that to stump the Pharisees, I think they understood. I don't think we understand. I think you're right <laughs> there. And I, I wonder if I could take a shot at it and see what you think about uh why not? You just you ruined my joke. Uh, <laughs> maybe you'll be able to get back at me uh, by ruining yeah. my uh, theory here. Yeah. Uh, Are you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm That's the sure. problem I, is you I, wouldn't be able to I, guess yeah, what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. We think of in in uh, I guess what we'd say is uh, in our theology, the way we understand the scriptures, we talk about this idea of a trinity, of a triune God, the three persons of the Godhead, that there's one true living God, uh, but there are three distinct persons who, who exist together in perfect harmony and oneness in their love for each other and their character in their purpose and intention and in their action. So these three can rightly be understood to be one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So we're not polytheists. Uh, but but there are three distinct persons in the Godhead, and we think of that as uh, Jesus was the one who gave us the, the formula, I suppose, uh, who at least brought it to be the standard formula, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But <clears throat> when we think of <clears throat> The Son, they're just names. They're, they don't define God. Uh, God takes on many titles and names in the Scriptures. Um, Jehovah, uh, Eli, Eli um, what's the other, uh, Jehovah's one name, what's the other Elohim. name? Elohim. Elohim, uh, Lord, uh, others. So there are different titles and names that the, God takes on. Uh, essentially, I think we have to believe and see that 
they don't define God, but these are names that God gives to himself, to human beings, to other reveals, that because they reveal something about him, his nature, something about God's character, something about his plan. Uh, so, so these names aren't, they don't define God in and of himself. But this idea of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, we can understand some of those roles. And I think the Trinity is very concrete and very important in Christian thought, right? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Um, we, and we consider it to be biblical. Yeah, it looks like it's there all the way through. I think we got it from you guys. Uh, I don't think so. I think so. Okay. I think so. I think so. I think so. Well, that's a nice thing. People are free to think whatever they want. <laughs> you guys, uh, I think I don't think it was an entirely first century idea. It seems to me there was uh, there were others who who thought about the Godhead as a plurality uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. But the, what I'm trying to get at is there is a Son of God in the sense of the member of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. But there's also the idea of the you know the Father saying, "Thou, art my, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." You know th- this this sonship comes from the idea of the incarnation is that Jesus actually took on flesh, became a genuine, real, totally in every sense of the word, human being. And in his role of the Messiah, by his faith and obedience and trust and following the laws of God and so in perfect trust and faith and obedience to the Father, he earned the right to be the the last Adam, the second Adam, the the. the the firstborn of the of the twice born. In other words, God's redemptive plan included an act of recreation. He was going to create okay, let's say that's new all human correct, beings. But there's so many. Things so in that there. sense, uh, that's the other sense in which Jesus well, was that, the Son of God. That's, that's fine, and I, I certainly would never. In that sense, begotten too, begotten Son of God. Well, I, I think we. I think unless I'm misunderstanding from the Christian thought, when it says begotten, we're talking about he was physically somehow physically the actual father of Jesus. Is that correct? Yes. Mary had a baby. Yes, Mary somebody, had a little lamb. Somebody, she sure did. Yeah, and McDonald had a farm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, let's go with Mary for the uh, moment. Whatever. But, but, uh, so, but so I'm saying is that in Christian thought, as I understand, uh-huh. it, correct me if I'm wrong, that there actually he is the birth father of mm-hmm. Jesus. The, uh, conceived okay, by the sure, Holy Spirit, sure. yes. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Well, however we're getting there, we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, that's a that's a big hurdle for a, a, in the Jewish mindset, and I think maybe even secular folks' mindset. Mm-hmm. But the, what I'm fascinated about in this book of Hebrews is a lot of things here that really mean things like the right hand. And take a look at chapter 4. Verse twelve. Yeah, there can be a lot of these things because you you guys had a lot of symbols and well, you know, played a lot of games with these words. You know, use, you know? guys. use guys. Hey, use guys. Use yeah. you guys. Know? Yeah. Okay, well, chapter four. I'm there. Uh, verse twelve. Mm-hmm. You, what's your Bible say? For the word of God is quick, alive and powerful. I memorized the word. The word. The word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than the two-edged sword, the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, and nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and so on. But it's talking but you're about the scriptures, reading. You the didn't Bible. stop at 12. You keep uh-huh. reading. Well, okay, I stopped. Uh, well, I mean, see, now we got to go back and look at 12. See, look at the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged, two-edged sword. Two-edged sword. 
Now, what in the world would that be talking about? Horeb. You're right. Explain what? Horeb, the Mount Horeb, is a Horeb is a sword. The right? Word, the word in Hebrew and it, for sword it involves justice and judgment and mercy. Well, right? There are two kinds of commandments. Okay. What you shall do, what you shall <laughs> not do. So it's two edges to the sword. Ah, okay, that's it. So when when you're reading that, you're saying, oh, it's a two-edged sword. Now, when you translate it, it sounds like a two-edged sword. But look what it's talking about further. This cutting between the division between the soul and the spirit. Wow, that's profound, right? Uh, Okay, so there's a two-edged sword. And you're right. And by the way, Mount Mount Horeb got a little new name, and it became Mount Sinai uh-huh. when the Ten Commandments was given. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's the same mountain. And if you ever notice, the word sin is in the first part. And the second part that makes I- the last part is actually the first pronounceable syllable of God's name. So it's sin with God's name on it is no longer sin. All right. So now it's a two-edged sword. So you got that. But then it says, cutting between the soul and the spirit. Mm. Now, it's clearly distinguishing between something that's called soul and something that's called spirit. And actually, this is correct. Well, good to have your uh, vote of confidence there. Between the joint and marrow, what does that mean? Uh, Well, I think that's the physical part. I think the soul and spirit are the... Say mystical, spiritual mm-hmm, part, mm-hmm. lack of a better word, and then you got the joints and the marrow. Biological, huh? Okay. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, okay? Yeah. And our intentions of the heart's what I've got. Okay. Now, what, is, what, what, to your understanding, and speaking on behalf of the Christians mm-hmm. uh, and all, all, all the which folks, I am clearly qualified to do, and I know, of and, I, uh, yeah, and, and probably, <laughs> and probably out of the half million that are listening, there's probably only five that disagree with. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. It probably so, is more like out of the five that are listening, yeah. there are probably half a million. I was going to say, uh, probably out of the five that are listening to <laughs> to, to you, 500,000 will disagree. Yes, yes. Uh, but, uh, but go ahead. Let's, okay, well, so what do you think, soul and spirit? What's it trying to tell you? I think it's trying to tell you those are the non-material aspects of our existence as human beings. And the soul has to do with the emotions and the intellect. And the spirit has to do with our true ultimate identity as as volitional intelligent rational beings we think we have opinion we have a will uh the spirit that is the ultimate real jacob and the real soapy dollar is a spiritual being we are spirit each of us uh, all of our listeners each one is a spiritual being well i'm gonna paraphrase they have soulish and 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 uh they have soulish capacity and Communicating with other, you you may be right, but I'm going to paraphrase a famous rabbi of the 12th, 13th century that ran a a yeshiva, Jewish school, Mm -hmm. and he would tell his students the first year, first class, he'd say, "Okay, how many people in here know that animals are alive?" Everybody raised their hand. He said, "Put your hands down. Not one of you know what I'm talking about, because uh, giraffes, cats, dogs. If you have a pet, they're alive." They're alive, but the thing that animates the animal, there's a different word. And see, when you translate these, and sometimes in English, it comes out 
just the word soul. Mm-hmm. But the thing that makes an animal alive, right at the beginning when he created animals, back in Genesis, mm-hmm. you know, when he created the chain of evolution, mm-hmm. right down to mankind. God didn't breathe into their nostrils. Well, the difference right? is, it's just important to know that there are three words used. For the animal that makes the animal animated alive is called nephish. Don't worry about the Hebrew. And then there's something called the ruach. And then there's something when he breathes into the human being is called the neshama. Ah. Now, so, when it says, so soul is what makes you alive. Now, you're actually going to love this because it's almost, uh, for your purposes, a Trinitarian idea. So you got your physical body. But what makes that physical body alive is a soul. Mm-hmm. It makes it alive. But you don't have to be alive. You don't have to have the Spirit of God. So you got your body. Uh, and, this, uh, and usually when Christians grasp this, they actually kind of like it because it kind of confirms mm-hmm. the idea of a Trinity idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you got the body. Least, yeah. You got the, what animates the body, the soul. Could so, that be wait, thought of? Don't step on quick my question. Show? Could that be? It's not a joke here. I know, but you're could that be thought of as the neural? Could that be thought of as the neurological system? No, brain so and nerves. You, you okay. can do whatever you want. Just wondered. That's why I asked you what you thought. Now I'm going to tell you a historical. But uh, so the idea is this animal's alive. Something makes the animal alive. Then something was added to the animal, the human being, and that was the spirit of God. So the human being, the animal, physical animal, only has the body and the soul that makes it alive. The human body, let's say Adam, has the body, the thing that makes that body alive. But something added was added, the spirit of God. And uh, you'll find that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Okay. So. I'm going along with that, but I'm just trying to have you right. think a little bit beyond the actual, maybe a little different terminology. I get the biological aspect okay. out of the, out of the dirt. You know, we're not told how God creates the animals, but we're told that out of the dust of the earth He created the man, his body, and so right. on. So we have the idea of the body, the physical, the biological. Then you have this idea of the nephish, as you say, this idea of. Uh, of of well, emotions it, and intellect, no, 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 reasoning that, capability. Historically, that's what is the soul of an animal that animates that piece of flesh called a dog. Mm-hmm. Now, I know and I've heard and I've read that the other people say, well, no, it soul means like the intellect and the emotions, and I, I got that. And that's fine. I can live with that. But historically speaking, that's not how they took it. Well, they didn't even know the idea of a soul uh, or, or in, a neurological system. And so I, I'm just trying to say, right. could that soulish aspect of an animal right. be the aspect of a of, of, uh, certain level of intelligence, reasoning capability and feeling uh, pain or whatever that, that right. could that be? Could that be what is considered the soulish aspect? And then when God breathed into the nostrils of a human being, he became uh, not only biological, not only a thinking, reasoning, but to a higher capability, but he also became an independent being with a volitional capability to make decisions about I think I could live his with, life. I could live with that, but what would give him... Uh, as you said, volition, free will. That would be his becoming a because then 
a person. A, a, because a, then he has the a right. A spiritual to, being. Yeah. He has a right to make a choice. Right. Do I want to be an animal or do I want to be godly? Yes, that's it. See, the animal doesn't have that option. No. Animals don't have that option. So it, when you put the Spirit of God in... How did that happen? Man, you got to turn that clock back. <laughs> so you put it in there. So now you got the tension, and it creates, you might say, free will. Because you got this godly thing, Spirit of God, mm-hmm. but you got the animal thing, also the animal. So out of those two, you get your choice. You can't go beyond the parameters that are created. That's right. And, and, the, and the Word of God, the Scriptures, is declared to be here, this two-edged sword that dips down and and helps even touches that spiritual longing so that we let's have as put human it beings. Yeah. The, the commandments of God We'll come back and finish up your thought, okay? When we get back, this is the Bible Live 3409585. Don't go away. All right, we are back. Our final segment. The time has just flown by this evening. Let's let's get into this yeah, segment. Listen, and there's a couple things I'd like to get to in Hebrews. Move further but, into the book. Yeah, but here I want to finish real quick. Sure. So let's put this together. We're looking at chapter four, verse twelve. Mm-hmm. So if the sword is the Ten Commandments. Okay. okay. All right. Sword Mount, uh, Mount Sinai Horeb. Mm-hmm. Okay. Horeb mm-hmm. means sword. Okay. Now, why does that verse contain the sword, the Ten Commandments, and talking about the soul and the spirit? Why is it cutting between those? Because animals that have a soul that animates the soul, and you're as a physical animal, mm-hmm. they don't. Animals don't have the commandments. They it's separated. Mm-hmm. They're not required to. So it separates between. The spiritual side of a human being that has the commandments and has the choice to follow the sword, the two-edged sword. Mm -hmm. But this animal doesn't have the Ten Commandments. Everything an animal does is not a sin. It's just an animal. It's by instinct, yes. So, But if you catch what's going on, it's telling you the Ten Commandments, God's laws, is what makes the difference between the part of you that's the spiritual stuff and the physical stuff mm-hmm. of the animal. Anyway, that's what I get out of that. Excellent. Ex- I, I, and I, I, uh, it makes perfect sense. Of to me, that's very, does. very logical and well, very clear. Of course it does. I, 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 I rarely am right. And, and it's not like you made it up yourself. No. It comes right yeah, here from the, this old say, book we yeah. got here. Yeah, well, you know, I... Once in a while, as they say, even a blind squirrel sure, finds an acorn. Sure, that's right. Well, you got or it right there. Even a squirrel finds a blind acorn. Let's there. move from the idea of sonship then. Mm-hmm. Now, in chapter 5, the book of Hebrews, the, what is going about doing is trying to establish the superiority of Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, that that he is, that all of the other uh, aspects of, of God's revelation were real, they were valuable, they were real, they were true, but they were only, and I don't mean by only to, 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 
tear them down, but the, but they were they were pictures of they were symbols of the defining the ult, the final ultimate reality. And so he's saying here that Christ now in chapter five he begins to talk of the Messiah as our high priest. Since then, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our our weakness, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So he goes on to talk about now the priesthood of the believer. First, of the, the Son, the Son of God, also has become... Now, when we talk about priesthood, we're talking about someone who represents... God to the people. He helps uh, reveal God's word and God's will to the people. And he also, through his intercession and his prayer and his ministering uh, life, he, his servant heart, he represents the people to God. He takes the people before the throne of God and invites them uh, and, and pleads their cause. So that the ultimate idea of a priest, that's what they do. And he's saying here that Jesus then, the Messiah, Yeshua, was ultimately uh, the ultimate priest of which the Levitical priesthood was real, and he, so but it was a picture of that a ultimate. Jew that back at that time uh-huh. was familiar with the, <clears throat> the Old Testament. Okay. So, now, what you just said, I get what you're saying, but you haven't made a sale. Oh, okay. I'm not. No, uh, I'm, you know, I get it. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about back then. Uh-huh. We're writing it to some Jews. And they're saying, look, uh, he's our high priest. The first thing I would think a Jew at the time would say was, well, what do you mean? He's from the tribe of Judah. He's not from the tribe of Levi. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you've got to be able to convince somebody back then that this can happen. So the question is, how does he go about in the text you're quoting trying to convince somebody that that can happen? If you read chapter 5, folks, uh, that's the answer to Jacob's question. But I'll try to say that it, it, in the first place, you have to understand what is the role of priesthood. And that's what I tried to just describe. And you then, mean I interrupted? Thank you. I got you. You did. <laughs> okay. It. And then he goes beyond the priesthood of of Levi. Uh-huh. And that's how he gets by the idea of, you know, it has to be of the tribe of Levi because there is a priesthood prior to Levi. What is it? it the Melchizedek. Oh, okay. And so he 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 so he's trying to use appeals. the argument that hey, you know, before the Levites there was this. Actually, I want to say this for the benefit of all of us. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There is no such word as Melchizedek. Okay. There's no such word. It's Melchizedek. Okay, Melchizedek. Okay. But and we it's say Melchizedek. Melchizedek is king. And Zedek is righteousness. The Apache rendering of the word is Melchizedek. I know. And in all fairness, it's put together in all English Bibles, so it reads like one word. I, okay. And that's fair to say. Well, talk to us about Melchizedek. Well, Melech is the word for king. Okay. And Zedek is righteousness. In fact, all right. you'll find that it says uh, he was somewhere around here. It says he was the king. Of, I guess that's in chapter 7. It says he was the king of uh, righteousness. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So he was a king, but a king of righteousness. So, uh, so what, but if you put together, and in all fairness, I'm just playing with you, but in all fairness, in every English Bible, they put together as if it were one word. 
Yes, exactly. And we read about Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. Remember, Abraham is going to rescue, I think, the, those who... Am he I getting my rescued, stories messed he up? He rescues them. Job, and, or is it a whole different story? He goes oh. to battles these kings. And yeah, he, he does. He, he, he defeats them, and he, and he comes back. And Melchizedek is the uh, king of peace or something Righteousness. like... Righteousness. Salem. Salem. Salem, king of Salem, and which would be Jerusalem, right? It be, later became Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. And Abraham gives a tithe to him. Yes. And, and, and he uh, gives how much? Uh, 10%. Right? Hey, you're yeah, good. Okay. You're good. Uh, so that is the idea that he's saying now that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, so now, not after the now order of Levi. Kind of developing the argument. He's trying to convince somebody, saying, look, you guys know that well, there was a time when the Levites became the priests. But I want to tell you about a time before that. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to make this very well-reasoned argument. How he's trying yeah. to convince them. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea that then Jesus, uh, the Messiah, becomes our high priest. Uh, and also in that context, we come to understand that we as God's people, those of us who by faith enter this uh, covenant relationship with God through the Messiah, we become now a kingdom of priests. That we, too, now uh, are uh, the priesthood of the believer is uh, the way the doctrine is described in Christian circles, that we represent God to people. We represent the gospel to others. We help people come into contact with God through our evangelism and our sharing of of the gospel. And we also, through our intercession and our prayers and our ministry, personal ministry to people in God's name, we represent uh, people to God. Uh, so we take them before the throne of God in his throne okay, of righteousness. Let's see. So uh, look, in that at, sense, we're a kingdom of priests. Look at chapter 7. Mm-hmm. No, you can't be a kingdom of priests because Moving right according ahead. to this argument, their priesthood is gone. Yes. There's only one priest. That's what this argument makes. So you can't be a kingdom of priests. Uh, not really. But look at chapter 7. Well, let's take a look at verse 11. He's the high priest is still there. But the high priest, okay. according to this argument, in the four corners of the argument, mm-hmm. the high priest is there. So you don't have a nation of priests. Anymore. But take a look. Or you don't even have a tribe of the priests. But look at seven eleven. It's a store. It's mm-hmm. a stop and go. It's the story from Genesis 14 where uh, Melchizedek is revealed to be greater than Abraham. Abraham bows to him and pays a tithe to him. Uh, And so it's establishing the fact that that, uh, that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, right? And that Abraham... He well, conducts let's look Abraham at the argument God. that he's trying to make. All right, go for it. Educated folks back then, uh-huh. not everybody probably was, but let's say that he's trying to convince them why you should believe that uh, the Levitical priesthood has really gone away, mm-hmm. and you can believe that the Jesus from the tribe of Judah is the priest, and it's actually he he, he starts it as in seven eleven. He doesn't say, if I can, if you allow me, maybe a little oh, correction. Sure. He doesn't seem to be saying that the uh, Levitical priesthood has gone away. He's just simply saying that there, the, 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 this is a superior priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek, and that it's not that the other, but the others, the, the priesthood, the, the priests of Levi, you know, the, the high priest, they died and they had to be replaced and all. And he's saying now the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, 
doesn't die. And I'm not criticizing what it says at all. I'm actually saying Uh this is what it says. Just as we were just reading it. Mm -hmm. But let me. But in the seven eleven, it says now if the perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, on the basis of the people that received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek uh-huh. and not being designated according to the order of Aaron? So he's saying, look, uh, this guy, Melchizedek, or as they write in English, uh, Melchizedek, they're saying, okay, so that's a guy, just one guy, and Jesus is after that kind of model. Then look at 12. For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes a place in the change of the law. Uh-huh. So he's saying, look, you, this is a spiritual thing, and so we don't have to be bound by the law, as I understand his argument. So therefore, if the law is gone, and the priesthood came in, the Levitical priesthood came in about because of the law, and if the law is gone, then we can identify Jesus being from the tribe of Judah because Melchizedek was not from the tribe of Levite. Okay. Now, as I understand the argument, now I could be wrong. I mean, you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong. In fact, then it goes on in verse 14. It says, For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing about concerning the priest. The priest. So his argument, he has to convince, as as I'm reading the argument, I could be wrong, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm not criticizing it. No, I know you're not. But I think his argument is, look, I'm trying to to convince you all that uh, Jesus could be from the tribe of Judah because the law came, and that's what created the Levitical priesthood. But if we're not going to talk about the law, the Levitical priesthood, really at this point in my argument, he, he's saying, it doesn't matter because we have an example of this guy, we'll call him Melchizedek, mm-hmm. and he's not from the tribe of Levi because the law hadn't been given technically at that point. Right. So, therefore, you can have a priest from another tribe. And as I understand the argument, I think that's the argument that he's spinning. I think you're right. I believe that's what he's trying to help them understand, the the priesthood of the Messiah. And he's not only trying to say it's different, but that it's superior. I, I, I reluctantly have to agree with you. That is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. It seems like what he's what he's contrasting here is the spiritual uh-huh. uh, yes. divine sure. priesthood, the the the, the and the earthly model, uh, the yes. earthly uh, uh, demonstration of the priesthood, the, the, but that the, the the reality, the Melchizedekian model, is the reality of the priesthood, uh, and, and it's superior to even the. I, it, it I didn't say think, the other one is not not no, important. I don't think we can disagree that the literature itself says exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I, and, uh, That's the case they're trying to make. Yes. The, 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 to these uh, these Jewish men and women. So he's trying to help them understand uh, the reality of our lives. The, the the Levitical priesthood was a true, genuine revelation from God. There was nothing secondhand. It, it, it was it was true. It's real. It's 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 exciting and it's thrilling. But and it isn't saying that's not important anymore. He's just saying there. It is a picture of a celestial priesthood that is even more important, the reality, not just the, the 
the earthly outworking, the picture of the priesthood. And does it? And after that, but he the, tries to give a, a concrete example. Mm-hmm, that yes. concrete example, as I'm reading, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. is in chapter nine. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go to that. And he says, "Look, um, over in uh, chapter nine, he says, remember, um, uh, there is uh, verse twenty-four. Uh, he said, that, remember." Uh, for Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands, physical. Mm-hmm. Remember that he's trying to distinguish, as you said, mm-hmm. between the spiritual. And that's why Jesus could not be talking from, about the holy place uh, in yeah, the temple Jesus could there be in Jerusalem. From the tribe of Judah in heaven, because we're not talking about the law that created the Levitical, the physical. Then he says, and then he says something very interesting. He says, entered the holy place made with hands. Uh, a mere copy of the true one, but is in heaven to itself to appear in the presence of God for us. On our behalf. So now, the Jewish idea was that everything on earth, while it feels physical to us, is a shadow or a copy of something that's really in heaven. Mm-hmm. So, if I see... Even say, the temple and even the priesthood. The, the, the priesthood that's what I was trying to say while I go too. So he's actually he's tying it up, trying to make a very sincere argument. And, and actually, in the book of Exodus, uh, I believe there's five or six times where Moses does not know what God's talking about. Mm-hmm. And so it says God showed him a picture. Ah, so now he's going back in this chapter 9 saying, remember, uh, God is basically showing Moses a picture. And that picture had to be of something. And that is a reflection, a shadow of what was in heaven. And so, therefore, when you had the Levitical priesthood, that was physical because of the law. And that, and that is a shadow of something else that's in heaven. And I'm just saying what I take his argument to mean. I'm not passing judgment that it's right or mm-hmm. wrong. I'm just I trying to say this is what I understand. So as I'm reading it, he says, look, you had everything physical before. You got that. But I'm talking about the example before Jesus and Melchizedek. And that was not physical. And I'm talking about something spiritual here is what he's trying to say, Mm -hmm. I think. So, and he's saying, and you've got the example. Let me give you an example. You know that the ark was just a, it's a copy. And it actually says it was a copy of the real one that's in heaven. Mm -hmm. So if there is something on earth that's a copy, if the real one's up there, do you have to have a physical copy of a priesthood, which would be the Levitical priesthood? Or can you have a guy that's similar to Melchizedek? And I, so I'm thinking he's making a fairly good, cogent, and if I may say somewhat scholarly argument mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to convince people that he's right. I get it, and, and, uh, and I, I appreciate it, and I, I think it's brilliant and beautiful. Uh, I don't know how many it convinced. I mean, obviously there are millions of Jewish men and women who have embraced Yeshua, that them, believing that he indeed was that, that long-promised Redeemer, Messiah, Savior. Uh, but remember the book of Hebrews, what he's trying to do is that now these Jewish believers, these Jewish followers of Yeshua, they are under duress. They are being persecuted. They're being killed for their faith. And and so who's what doing, the writer... Who, who's, this, who's doing that? The, the Romans, I assume, yeah, right? The Romans. The uh, Jews are not doing it. No, no. The, but the Romans are doing it. And so this writer is trying to... Uh, 
and some of them are thinking, wow, wow, we weren't, this wasn't happening to us when we were just, just Jews. <laughs> At least they weren't, I don't know, I guess they were also killing Jews at one time. But well, The problem is, is, is with kingship. Mm-hmm. You can't, in Rome, you can't have another king. Right, yeah. And so if you declare Jesus to be your king, then Caesar's not going to like this. Right. You're not getting off on the right foot. And so, uh, so, so some of these Jewish followers who had embraced Jesus now were having second thoughts about that. And they were thinking, well, I think I'll just go back. I'll, I'll I'll kind of go back and pretend I don't know about Jesus, his claims to be the Messiah, and so on. And I'll just go back to my Judaism, uh, because we're, at least we're not being killed for that right now. And so uh, they were trying to retreat back from their understanding and uh, knowledge about the Messiah to try to just go back to the simpler, more innocent, and less threatened uh, experience of, of a Jewish believer. Uh that seems to be what's going on, and that he's saying, at some level, at some point, he even tells them, that "You can't do that. You know, we can't. You can't unknow uh, what we know about God and His plan." And and so he's he's trying to give them, uh, you know, that you can't do that, and that he's giving them the reason and understanding to know this. No, it is true. He really is the Messiah. It's a very... Yeah, but I can say I believe that everybody in America drives a pink car. Mm-hmm. You know what that makes America? A pink car nation. Uh-huh. So, a flower. Okay. So, and the fact I say that to you doesn't convince you that I'm telling the truth. So he has to convince Yes, somebody. I get it. Yeah, he's got a, a, a very challenging uh, 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 mission here to try to shore these well, people actually, up, to give there, them hope. There's things here. Whoever wrote this was not a pedestrian. No. He's, he's familiar with Jewish stuff, but he's got the chore of trying to make a cogent, convincing argument. In fact, uh, in the interest of time, in chapter 10, verse 26, he actually quotes something. 1026, that the Jews would understand. Yes, he says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Now you know what he's saying. Intentional sin? Yes. Is that the idea yes, you're headed that's towards? exactly what I'm going for. Uh-huh. So he's actually saying it right here. Now the Jews knew would know that a lamb is used for sin. Sin is unintentional. And so if he, he has to convince them that he knows what he's talking about, he's making a clear, cogent, convincing argument. It's logical, it's practical. The concept is on, and the system works for me. It's clear, it's concise, and it's convincing. I'm not sure, but we may have reached an agreement. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty harsh thing, though, isn't it? For anyone who has who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two to three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have, in, have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God mercy t- to us. For we know the one who said, I will revenge, I will pay back, the Lord will judge his own people. Uh, that's a strong. These are. I mean, it is an incredible challenge this guy has taken on, the writer of the book of Hebrews, to me, because 
you guys have been believing this for centuries. These words about Moses and about the covenant and about the temple and about the priesthood and about the laws of God. And these are these you've been believing these as a reality an expression of the spiritual dimension for centuries. And now they're trying to upgrade the model. They're trying to upgrade it and bring it. And it's clashing with some of the long-held uh, understandings that, that that Jewish people had, and it it was tough. I can I can understand in some ways how it was difficult. On the other hand, sometimes as a Gentile, I look at it and go, "Wow, you're so clear." Well, how Jesus, did it, may I say, Jesus on the cross got it right mm-hmm. when he said on the cross, "He's a lamb." Father, forgive them. And what, for they do them. not know he what said, they were doing. A lamb can only be used for unintentional negligence. He said, forgive them, they do not know. He did not say, forgive them, they know. Exactly what they're doing. Because a lamb yeah. cannot be used for that. So when he's going back here, what I'm getting out of this, he's saying, so look, uh, you are, since you know the truth, and you know there's a difference between a lamb for unintentional, you don't know, mm-hmm. and, it's some, and how do you get rid of intentional? Do you know how you get rid of intentional in the Jewish world and in the Old Testament? It's not by killing a lamb. No animal sacrifices are mm-hmm. ever listed for intentional. Not There's nothing. Do you know how you get rid of it? It wouldn't be the the uh, oh uh, the barley. Oh, it wouldn't be the no. There's no okay. there's no physical there's thing. No, uh, it would be no animal sacrifices. Nothing. I, That's why it says in this version, for if we go on sinning willfully mm-hmm. after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains any sacrifice for our sins. Mm-hmm. So what is it? It's repentance. Okay. You personally must repent. You personally must make Turn it. away from your sin and selfishness. Turn to God. Exactly. To but God. you also, part of that is if I stole your radio, I Make recompense. Re- yeah. I have to take you back a radio. If I took you tennis shoes, i got to give you some tennis shoes. i got to fix that. But I can't go. There's no animals for intent. So what happens is he's actually saying this because he's writing it to people that know this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I understand. I don't wow. in any way mean to say, because I know in today's world, we think the idea of uh, the lamb takes care of bank robbery, adultery, and killing people, and, and act mm-hmm. in a car accident. Oh, uh, well, we did our best, folks. This is a profound book, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Next week, we'll go back and pick up... Uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel and Daniel. And wow. I'd like to say before we go that always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Amen goes there. See you next week, folks. God bless. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast.
You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.